Almighty God and Father, we worship you this morning. We declare that you are the creator and redeemer and that you have spoken. And for your word, we thank you. As we open it now, we pray that you would move upon us. God, that you would grab our hearts, deepen our love for you, our awareness of your love for us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You can be seated. Psalm 81 is a passionate plea from God for us to listen to him. And listening is something that is basic to the Christian way of life. That's what we're going to consider together this morning through the lens of Psalm 81. Um, think about how central listening is in the biblical witness. Think of Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema, which is just the Hebrew word for to hear or to listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord alone. And that's the basic prayer of the people of God in the Old Testament, still central in Jewish liturgies to this day, the Shema. Or think about uh, Jesus in, Mark, in John chapter 10, saying that he is the good shepherd and then saying this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what defines a follower of Jesus is they, they hear his voice. And that's exactly what the father wants for us as his creatures. Because at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is transformed and his glory is radiant, the voice from heaven with Moses present and Elijah present and Peter and James and John, the voice from heaven says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. This is what God desires of us, that we would listen to Jesus. Jesus, who is known to us as the word made flesh. We are to listen to the word. Or bringing Old and New together, New Testament, Old Testament together in Deuteronomy uh, or in, in Matthew, um, in the temptation narrative, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. When the devil is tempting him and asks him to turn the stones into bread, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 and says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That should encourage us to long to listen to God, to listen to his word. And maybe a negative example or way of exemplifying this is think about our great enemy. We talked about the devil last week, but think about what his strategy is from his first encounter with that first human couple in Genesis 3. The first thing that he says is, did God really say? His aims and tactics are always to get us to doubt or to diminish or to make unclear the clear word of God. To cause us not to listen. So listening is basic and central to the way of faith. And from this psalm as we consider it together this morning. We'll see the meaning of listening. The basis for listening. And the result of listening. And then I want us to think a little bit about how we can grow. As those who listen to God. So first the meaning of listening. We find this in two verses in Psalm 81. Verse 11 and verse 13. First in verse 11. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So God is equating listening with submitting. Which means that listening is about yielding and obeying and following the will and direction of another. It means coming under the authority of God. And letting his words guide and direct and, and uh, shape our lives more than anything else. So in short, listening means 
obedience. It means walking, actually moving down the path that God has made clear to us, letting his voice be our guide. This is confirmed if we look at verse 13 in the psalm, where God says, if my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways. Listening means following my ways. This is what God longs for from his people. When Jesus comes on the scene, it's no different. After he gives his most well-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, he says, look, if anyone hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what he is like. He is like the man who built his house on the rock. But if anyone hears my words and does not put them into practice, does not obey, lets them go in one ear and out the other, then he is like the man that built his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, the, that, the house falls, its crash is great. Listening to Jesus, listening to God means doing what he says. It means following and obeying. And when we do that, that is what creates the solid foundation for our lives. We see this beautifully in Psalm 1. This man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law or his instruction, he meditates day and night. This is a man who is really tuned in to the word of God and to his instruction. And then the psalm says, what that man is like is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Solid and stable and fruit bearing. That is the result of one who would listen to God. Let's recognize in God's call for us to listen to him the robust challenge that this presents to us. Because listening to God means not listening to other voices, not least of which our own voice. So the call to listen is a, a challenge to our cherished autonomy. It's a challenge to give up control, to cede authority of our lives, not uh, over to another, over to God himself, and not to hold on to it ourselves. When Jesus enters the scene, his first words, his invitation into the kingdom, into the new life-giving work that God is accomplishing through and in Jesus, is with this simple call. He says, repent and believe. To repent is to think again. It's to turn around. It's to stop listening to the voices that we were listening to or living by the values that we were listening to and to start now believing or trusting in or coming under his way of life, listening to him. That's what that invitation is for. It's for us to engage with God and to listen to him. And we'll come to this in just a few minutes, but this is what we ultimately long for in our lives. We long to listen to God. Whether we know that or not, that is what we desire. This kind of listening, this appeal from God in Psalm 81 to listen to me, is not a selective listening. Paul said this to the Ephesian elders in his farewell address in Acts chapter 20 verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He says my, my hands are free. Your, your blood is not on my hands. I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. This is what we are to listen to. Not the bits of God's counsel that already fit with what we think is valuable and important and meaningful in life but to listen to the entire counsel, including God's counsel and word that challenges our cherished values. For example, our autonomy. God challenges these things and we are to listen, not selectively, but to all that he has said. 
And this is where those of us who are insiders can get into trouble. Partial or selective listening is a common trait of the people of God, especially in the Old Testament. Consider Isaiah 58. They were a fastidiously religious people. They would come to seek him day after day. They delighted, it says in verse 2 of Isaiah 58, to know God's ways. They fasted and they humbled themselves before God. They practiced spiritual disciplines with rigor, but God was not pleased with them. Why not? Because they ignored God's call for justice within their culture. In their fasting, God says, you seek your own pleasure or business. You still oppress all your workers, even though you're going through all of these motions that reflect someone who would know me and love me. Your life is not pointing that direction. You've blinded yourselves. You've covered your ears to hearing my voice and my heart for justice. And he says in verse 13 of Isaiah 58, they are just going their own way, seeking their own pleasure. Selective listening is not listening. It is building our house, our house on the sand. To listen means to listen exhaustively, wholly, entirely. And if there are aspects of God's voice, of his word, that are troubling to us or to our cultural moment about sovereignty or providence or exclusivity or judgment or sexuality or justice or whatever, that does not mean that we stop listening by either ignoring what God has said or twisting his words so that they are more amenable to our moment. No, we listen entirely and exhaustively. To listen is to obey. It is to follow, to yield. So what's the basis, secondly, for, for this listening that God appeals to us to have? Why would we surrender this kind of control in our lives? Why would we yield ourselves to another? The speech of God in Psalm 81 begins in verse 6. Before he pleads with them to listen, he recounts his rescue of his people. He relieved, verse 6, or removed the burden from our shoulders. He set our hands free from the basket. Then in verse 7, God alludes to the moment that is recounted in Exodus 2, 23 through 25, which says their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And that's at the end of Exodus 2. And then God calls Moses in Exodus 3 and the whole rescue and deliverance narrative is played out over the next 17 chapters. God knew, God rescued, God listened to your cry. It's interesting. God says, I listened to you. And then the appeal of this psalm is, you listen to me. Why would we listen? What is the basis? It's this rescue. It's this deliverance that God has exercised toward us and enabled and accomplished for us. And then he begins in the psalm to walk through the, the story of deliverance by talking about the, the answering them out of a thundercloud. I rescued you. I delivered you. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. That's from Exodus 17. God is recounting the journey out of Egypt through Sinai, through the wilderness into to Sinai, to this encounter where what does God do? And we read this in Deuteronomy 4 in this deliverance narrative. When they get to Sinai, God speaks. Deuteronomy 4, as we read, actually we didn't read that in this service. We read it in the early service. 
The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. And Deuteronomy 4 goes on to share that I spoke the ten words or the ten commandments to you, the covenant that I wanted you to keep with me. It's no surprise that as Psalm 81 continues in verses 9 and 10, we get the beginning of this encounter on the mountaintop between the people of God and God himself. Verse 10 is basically a quotation of the prologue of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. And verse 9 of our psalm is essentially the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Listen to me alone and not to any other voice. This new relationship that I have accomplished by delivering you out of slavery, this relationship is marked by exclusive fidelity. It is a marriage where both partners forsake all others and remain faithful to one another until the end. That's what the first commandment is about. And God is reminding them in the psalm that to listen to him means to listen only to him. All on the basis of his deliverance and of his rescue. And look, if this was true for the people of God in the Old Testament who experienced the miraculous deliverance out of slavery in Egypt, how much more true is it of us today on this side of the cross in which God has come into the world in the person of his son to deliver us not from Pharaoh, but from sin and evil and death and to bring us into a new kind of life, a new creation, a new kingdom and to enjoy fellowship with him by his spirit we have experienced the far greater deliverance from the far greater Moses, from Jesus himself. So listen to me. The basis of our listening is the work of God in salvation to rescue his people. And this dynamic gets then uh, worked out a bit further by the third point, which is the result of listening according to the psalm. And we see that result in verse 10. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it, God says. It's hard not to see the image of little baby birds in a nest with their mouths wide open waiting for their mom to come back with a worm or some kind of food and drop it in their mouths. God is saying, I will feed you, not from scarcity, not just a little bit, but from my fullness, from my abundance, I will fill your mouth. And then he says at the end of the psalm in verse 16, but you would be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Oh, Israel, if you would but listen to me, when you listen to me, you will be satisfied. You will be fed from my hand. You will, be, uh, you will enjoy abundance and plenty from me. It is to bring genuine satisfaction. That is what listening does. Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French mathematician and philosopher who converted to Christianity in his late 20s when he encountered Jesus. He said this, he said, there was once in man a true happiness of which there now remains to him only the mark and empty trace, which he tries in vain to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can be filled only by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. The point is that God is our maker, that we were made, we were designed by him to be in communion with him, to respond to his bountiful gifts in creation with a bountiful worship and praise reflecting back to him the glory that he had given to us. 
and yet we walked away and we tried to start filling ourselves with everything else that we could think of. But the reality is nothing else satisfies, nothing else lasts. Most of us know this from experience. The good things that we enjoy are, are even fleeting. The best of relationships can be disappointing. We can even experience loneliness in the midst of them. The best food and the best drink don't really satisfy. We get hungry again. And even the height of success can ring hollow. Seriously, doesn't winning the Super Bowl so many times as has happened in this region in New England eventually lose its luster? Some of you might say no, but I think it does. The best things that we can think of don't ultimately satisfy because we were made by God to be in communion and union with him. And only when we are in communion with him can we finally come to some kind of rest and satisfaction. And so he says, "If oh Israel, if you would but listen to me, if you would hear my voice, if you would obey me, if you would walk with me, you would be filled. You would experience the fullness that you're longing for in all of these idols around you, but can only be found in me. And that's his appeal to us. That's the results of listening to him. Why does walking with God in this way bring satisfaction? Why does listening to his voice bring satisfaction? In addition to, to bringing us into connection with him, it's because as the creator, when God speaks, he speaks in a way that corresponds with the truth and with reality. And as we listen to him, we get to walk in accordance with the way the world actually is. So when we had younger children, we'd often say to them, you know, don't touch the burner on the stove because if you touch the burner on the stove, you're going to get burned. And our counsel to our children was a counsel that was rooted in the reality, the way that things were. And if they heard our counsel as parents, the kids would be safe and healthy. And if they didn't, they would be hurt and damaged. And in a similar way, when God speaks, he speaks truth that aligns with the way of the world that he created. He knows it better than anyone. And as we listen to him, we begin to walk in line with the way the world works. Thus, knowing even more genuine satisfaction and rest. That's what, what God is saying here. Three, three ways of thinking about this. First is the, the, the picture on a puzzle box, on the, the cover of a box of, uh, with a puzzle in it. We need to see that picture in order to begin to put the pieces of the puzzle. It becomes our guide and that's what enables us to put the pieces of the puzzle together to make something beautiful. And in, a, in the same way, when God speaks, we get that picture and we can begin to walk and put our life together in a way that brings fulfillment and joy and beauty. Or think about a map and a guide, the guidance through a map or directions that, God, that, that we we depend upon when we get in our car and we we turn on our smartphone and put in the, the address and it begins to give us step-by-step -step directions to get from point a to point b we can think about god's voice in that way because god sees the whole and he sees it so clearly that as he guides us with his words he's giving us the pathway through that teaches us how to live or think about a guide on a on a rafting trip and a paddle boat i Recently, after a long hiatus from doing a paddle boat, I, when we were in Colorado, I was able to guide my kids and their five cousins down the river, this crew of, able crew of nine. I'm not sure how able they were, but the point was they had to listen to my voice as the guide in the back of the boat because I knew the way through the canyon and through the rapids, and our routes were anything but textbook. In one rapid, we turned around backwards. Um, but they needed to listen to my voice to make it through safely and to enjoy it. Not to listen to the voice of a different guide in a different boat, that would have led to 
bad results and not to take advantage of a photo op and put your paddle up above your head, but to listen and to stroke when the guide says to stroke. And in a similar way, that's the way that God's word works. When he speaks, he's speaking as a guide in the back who sees the whole and understands who we are as human beings and how we are to flourish. And his speaking gives us guidance to make it through the challenges that we face. All of these analogies work because God is the creator and he knows us and created us. So for example, when Jesus says no servant can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll serve the one and despise the other. He's saying that as our creator, he knows us and he knows that we cannot listen to one and the other at the same time, but that we must to know true uh, joy and satisfaction we must listen to him exclusively and alone he knows that because he made us and he knows that we are wired in that way God's word is corresponding to reality and as we listen to him we are genuinely satisfied are you listening verses 11 and 12 God shows us the the counter example he says but my people would not listen to me Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices or counsels. That echoes Paul's language in Romans 1, these three hammer blows in Romans 1 of God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. To be given over to listening only to our own counsel is the height of folly, and yet it's what we often seek and pursue. But instead of satisfaction, this leads to starvation, or maybe even suffocation. We're cut off from that which we were created to know and enjoy, and we will never know true and genuine satisfaction when we only listen to ourselves, because we've lost the map, we've lost the voice of the guide. And so instead of walking in step with reality, instead of flourishing, instead of even running freely, We bump into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and we hurt ourselves and we hurt others in the process. We may not think that in the moment, but eventually, sooner or later, that kind of effect will become apparent in our lives. And God would spare us that effect with what he's appealing to here in Psalm 81. Listen to me. In closing, how do we grow in listening to God? We're often quick to make resolutions. You know, we hear a psalm like this and we think, all right, I'm going to do better. I'm going to listen more. I'm going to try harder. And yet when we do that, I think we tend to end up a bit disappointed or overburdened, disillusioned even. And I'm not suggesting for a moment that to walk faithfully in the Christian life doesn't require effort and intention and the use of our will. It absolutely does. But the psalm gives us an insight, and it really gives us an insight that more or less begins to erode our barrier to listening. So if you're listening in today and you have barriers to listening to God, if there are aspects of God and his word that he's declared that you find abhorrent and that you'd rather not hear, then I hope that hearing what the psalm has to say about eroding that barrier to listening is helpful. And I should say the psalm doesn't give us a lot of practical steps in listening. That would be a different sermon. If we were talking about that, I I would say something about the word of God, that we must deeply dive into the biblical word. God never speaks in a way that's outside of his word or contrary to his word. I talk about prayer and the need to be in a relationship, a living relationship with him, that by his spirit where we create space and silence, it's not all just, just noise so that we can hear his voice through his scriptures. And I would say something about community and the importance of 
being in community so that we know that as we're listening to God and, and studying his word, we're not just kind of making up stuff in our head. There was a, a book that was published in 2009 that won an award on Christianity Today uh, that was called uh, Self-Deception, or, or I Told Me So, Self-Deception and the Christian Life. And that's an easy thing for us to do. So we need God's, the, the community of God's people to listen. But the psalm doesn't go to those places. It really goes to this internal barrier that we might have put up from listening to, to not listen to God by doing two things. Number one is the psalm shows us the heart and the desire of God for his people. Almost in a vulnerable sense, God lays his heart and his desires for us on display in this psalm. Oh, Israel, if you would but listen to me, I would fill, open your mouth wide and I would fill it with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Understand that the heart of the creator God is a heart to bring about fullness and blessing and satisfaction and flourishing in our lives. And that's what this psalm shows us quite deeply is that is the heart of God toward you. So if you're thinking about and you're investigating who God is and you're, you're, you're suspicious or you have some, some notion that God is just a killjoy who wants to take away anything that you cherish, understand this psalm says something absolutely opposite, as does the entirety of the Bible, especially the Christian gospel. It is that God wants to bless you. God wants to give you life. He wants to fill you and bring you to full rest and satisfaction. And I hope that that insight causes that wall, that barrier inside of us that doesn't want to listen, that wants to keep control, to, to lower, to lessen, become weaker, that we might be more open to him. But then secondly, this psalm says that's not just the heart of God, but that is exactly what God, but God has put actions behind that heart. God has entered in, and in the psalm, of course, the deliverance narrative, as we saw, is the, the narrative out of Egypt, the deliverance out of Egypt. But for those of us on this side of the cross, the deliverance narrative is the cross itself and the resurrection of Jesus. This is at the heart of the Christian life and the Christian faith. Don't try to listen to God without first hearing what he has done to express or to bring about the satisfaction and flourishing of your soul and your life and mine. The psalm begins with sing aloud to God, shout for joy to God. It's a call to celebration on a feast day and a festival in, in Israel's life together in their common life, rooted in the deliverance of God. The psalm encourages us to contemplate the mighty acts, which, were the, which are the basis of our listening again. And says, look, God doesn't just desire your satisfaction, but look at how far he has gone to bring this about, to make this a possibility in their case, he entered into Egypt and brought them out miraculously. In our case, God, in the person of his son, enters into our world. Comes down from heaven. Takes upon himself human flesh. And with it, all of our weaknesses, all of our temptations, walks through his life in a perfect way of obedience to his father. Saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work and takes the lowest place with his disciples and washes their feet and serves them and goes to the cross that he might bear upon himself in himself the cost and weight and penalty of our sin and that in that act of the cross he might defeat our enemy the devil and set us free and liberate us that's what God has done to bring about our satisfaction and joy Jesus said, I've come that my joy might be in them and that their joy might be full. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This is how far he went to give us fullness and satisfaction. Oh, would we just listen to him? Let that story of God's great deliverance 
Even if you would call yourself an outsider right now and say, I don't really know Jesus. I haven't yet bent my knee to him. I haven't repented and believed. That's not me just yet. I'm, I'm exploring. Well, let the story of God's amazing provision in his son, let that woo you and draw you in to come to this place where even the parts that you don't understand about what God has spoken in his word would become things that you treasure and cherish and bow underneath to listen to more deeply and intently, knowing that as you do so, God would fill you. God would pour out his spirit upon you. God would give you rest and peace. This is our privilege. This is our comfort. And this is our calling as the people of God to listen to him and so be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, there are many, many ways in which we don't listen or in which we want to shut down your voice. I pray that by the Spirit today, that all of us who are gathered virtually in this moment, that we would all find that the the opposition to listening in our souls would be diminished and worn away, that it would erode in the light and warmth and beauty of your gospel. What an amazing, amazing gift you've given us that you have spoken at all. And as you've spoken that you've revealed such an amazing heart for your people and gone to great lengths to bring us satisfaction. We worship you this morning. We praise and adore you. We bless you. We, th we thank you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. May he be lifted up, O Lord. May we hear his voice as his sheep. Amen.